I've been clear on this Sunday, November 12th. Good afternoon. I'm Liz Radabali. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu is speaking on the civilian deaths of Palestinians in the densely populated Gaza Strip since starting war with Hamas. Appearing on CNN's State of the Union, Netanyahu says his country's focus has been on evacuation. Helping them by creating safe corridors. So we have designated routes to a safe zone south of Gaza City where there's no uh, fighting. The Israeli prime minister also repeated his vow that there would be no ceasefire until Hamas releases its hostages. Federal probe into New York City Mayor Eric Adams' 2021 campaign is reportedly focusing on a series of text messages related to the opening of the Turkish government's new consulate in Manhattan. New York Post reports that investigators are looking into whether text between Adams and FDNY Commissioner Daniel Negro and a Turkish official helped fast-track the opening of a building in September 2021. FBI agents stopped Adams on a city street last week and confiscated his mobile devices as part of the investigation. A New Jersey lawmaker wants military veterans to get the help they need. 77 WABC's Bob Brown explains. New Jersey Congressman Josh Gottheimer is leading legislation to support those who have served in the armed forces. I've talked to so many veterans who come home and feel like they're alone. They sign a piece of paper and they're discharged and no one follows up. That's unacceptable. Another bill would require a resident advocate at every veteran's home across New Jersey and the country, which ensures vets have everyday access to someone who can immediately help them. Gottheimer says veterans have a 57% higher chance of suicide than those who haven't served, vowing to do everything possible to change that. I'm Bob Brown for 77 WABC News. 77 WABC listeners support veterans and their families this Veterans Day by donating to the Tunnel to Towers Foundation. All you have to do is go to wabcradio.com slash t to t to donate. The Tunnel to Towers Foundation do all they can to try to support the veterans of our great country. Show your support for them this Veterans Day. Go to wabcradio.com slash t to t and donate. Also, 77 WABC is proud to support the Lee Greenwood concert experience today, November 12th. You can send a veteran and their guest to see Lee Greenwood's all-star concert experience. Receive the DVD version for yourself for a $50 contribution. Learn more and support a veteran today at AdoptAVet.com. Now your forecast from the Ramsey Mazda Weather Center tonight. Clear skies and a low of 32. Tomorrow, sunny skies with a high of 49. WABC News time is 4.03.45 and clear outside our Midtown studios. I'm Liz Radabali and remember the news never stops at WABCRadio.com. Richard Nixon. Well, I'm not a crook. Ronald Reagan. Tear down this wall. George W. Bush. I can hear you. The rest of the world. And Donald Trump. And a friend of mine for a long time, he uh, only likes politics. If you ask him about how are the Yankees doing, he has no interest. If you ask him almost anything, he likes politics and he's a professional at the highest level. Roger Stone. All of these presidents relied on one man to secure their seat in the Oval Office. That man is Roger Stone. This is The Roger Stone Show on 77 WABC. Welcome. I'm Roger Stone, and this is The Roger Stone Show, here on 77 WABC, the crown jewel of talk and entertainment radio, where I really think we are making AM radio great again. For the next two hours, from 4 to 6, our new time, 
we'll be talking news, politics, history, style, culture, and more. While yesterday may have officially been Veterans Day, we here at 77 WABC Radio are honoring our veterans all weekend long. This holiday has a special meaning for me. My father, Roger J. Stone Sr., served in the U.S. Army. Uh, My uncles, Robert Corbo and Leroy Corbo, both served in the military. My uncle Lee saw action uh, in Korea. Uh, I understand the monumental sacrifice that these men and so many other men and women made so that we could live free. 77 WABC listeners can support veterans and their families this Veterans Day weekend by donating to the Tunnel to Towers Foundation. All you have to do is go to wabcradio.com slash T2T to donate. That's wabcradio.com slash two, the number uh, T, the number two T to donate. The Tunnel to Towers Foundation do all they can, amazing work, to support the veterans of our great country. Take this unique opportunity to support them by uh, going to, once again, wabcradio.com slash T2T and make a generous contribution. My good friend Lee Greenwood did a special concert here on 77 WABC earlier today. Uh, The Tunnel to Towers Foundation is a phenomenal organization. This is a worthy cause. Help those who sacrificed so much. Uh, In the meantime, don't touch that dial. We're right here at 77 a.m. If you live in the New York, New Jersey, Connecticut area, perhaps the most powerful and influential and entertaining a.m. signal in America today. In fact, uh, I recommend you download the 77 WABC radio app to your cell phone, uh, and you can go to the App Store and do it right now. See, that way you won't miss any of the most amazing lineup uh, on talk radio. Not only commentary, but also entertainment. Uh, This is the very best AM radio anywhere in the country. It's a great honor for me to follow my good friend Lou Dobbs, uh, perhaps one of the greatest journalists and broadcasters in American history. But you also don't want to miss Sid Rosenberg, uh, Sid and friends in the morning. Uh, my friend of almost 30 years now, Larry Kudlow, the apostle of economic growth, who quarterbacked the revitalization, revitalization of America's economy under President Donald Trump. He's with us on Saturdays. My old friend Cindy Adams is the queen of gossip, and she always has the inside skinny on what the beautiful people are doing. Uh, You might enjoy the offbeat and always provocative Frank Marano with the other side of midnight. Uh, And you certainly don't want to miss America's mayor, perhaps the greatest mayor in New York City history, Rudy Giuliani. How Rudy Giuliani has the energy to do a great show here, his own podcast at night, while he's under the withering and unjust attack of the deep state. My hat is off to this great American patriot, and you don't want to miss his show 
right here at 77 WABC. Dominic Carter always has his fingers on the pulse of what's going on in New York. You don't want to miss him either. Rita Cosby continues to amaze me with the with the groundbreaking reporting virtually every night. She has an amazing guest to help break down the events of that day. Uh, you don't want to miss Rita Cosby. And, of course, there's the Katz and Cosby Show. John Katzimatidis and Rita Cosby, almost always joined by an extraordinary panel of experts for the very best analysis of the news. They tell both sides of the story, and they tell it to you straight. You can hear them uh, at 5 o'clock weekdays, uh, 8 o'clock Sunday mornings. Uh, On Sundays, it really sets the pace for the entire day. So download that 77 WABC app so you don't miss any of this great programming. It's yet another Sicilian Sunday in the Stone household. I've got a pot of Sunday gravy, uh, that's sauce to some Italians, uh, on the stove. Uh, But joining me today uh, is, well, the man more responsible for the nomination of Donald Trump in 2016, than any other person other than Donald Trump himself. That would be former Trump campaign chairman Paul Manafort, uh, a a victim of the outrageous uh, witch hunt conducted by Robert Mueller, but a man with unique insights on the American political scene. Uh, I also am going to interview former Illinois Governor Rod Blagojevich, uh, who had uh, his own... uh, politically oriented, politically motivated prosecution. Rod Bogoyevich did nothing wrong, but he served eight years' time uh, in an unjust conviction when there was no crime, only to have his sentence commuted by Donald Trump. Uh, He is uh, also a shrewd analyst, not only of the tsunami of lawfare being conducted against President Trump today, but on the entire American political scene and how it has changed. You're not going to want to miss either one of these great interviews, and they're both coming up. Uh, And then at uh, 5.30 Eastern, uh, we're going to take your questions. That number is 800-848-9222. Once again, 800-848-9222. Uh, and no subject is off limits, but uh, keep it clean. Last night, Tucker Carlson showed up at Madison Square Garden for the UFC fight with President Donald Trump. And, well, it was pandemonium. Uh, there is a talk on the Internet of Tucker Carlson for vice president. Uh, and if the response of the crowd last night is any indication... Well, maybe it's not such a crazy idea. There's no question that it would drive the American left crazy. But Donald Trump says he's open to Tucker Carlson as a 2024 running mate. And at first, I will admit uh, it sounds uh, a little out there. But besides Trump himself, there's really no one who enjoys the absolute trust of the America first base the way Tucker Carlson does. There is nobody who understands the values, the priorities, the concerns, uh, and the determination 
of the America First wing in American politics. I can think of no other potential vice presidential contender who is as tough or battle-tested as Tucker. Uh, like Trump, uh, he, uh, he never fails to rise when attacked uh, and under pressure. He's been targeted and smeared endlessly for seven years, uh, but he's never folded, he's never quit, and, well, he's never backed down. He's only become more popular since leaving Fox News. Uh, Despite years of digging, his personal life is spotless. He is a clean liver, uh, and he's a man of enormous integrity and principle. Uh, Why Tucker Carlson would want to do this, well, that's another question. Whether he himself is open to it, well, he hasn't said. But I would argue now, freed of the yoke of Fox News, where it is apparent he was in a constant fight with management over what he could and could not say, uh, and he was in a constant uh, struggle over who he could and could not interview, I think he is liberated. It also shows the power of the new media that he has far more viewers uh, on X, formerly known as Twitter, Uh, than he ever had at Fox. Uh, This kind of tells you that the old media is dying. Cable TV is uh, someday, uh, very shortly, will be a thing of the past. It will go the way of broadcast television. Uh, That's uh, largely because uh, the cost both of broadcasting and the cost of consumer access is just too high particularly when you can get the content on your cell phone or on your uh, laptop or on your computer for absolutely free. Tucker's the only Republican I can think of who could really match, uh, even surpass Trump's rhetorical style. Uh, He's one of the few people I can think of who can speak extemporaneously for an hour without a single note uh, and keep his audience transfixed. Uh, The Democrats plan to keep Donald Trump stuck in court or even in jail so he can't campaign. I can't think of anyone better to take the point uh, and lead a campaign under those circumstances than Tucker Carlson. Now, we also know that the first qualification to be vice president, just a so-called heartbeat away from the presidency, Uh, is uh, qualifications, but there's no doubt in my mind that Tucker Carlson, who I've known for 30 years and who I count as a friend, uh, is fully up to that task. So perhaps this isn't such a crazy idea. In fact, I'm warming to the idea. Trump Carlson 2024. I kind of like the ring of it. The trial of uh, Donald Trump uh, in a Manhattan courtroom continued uh, this week uh, when Trump testified. Uh, This is the trial in which Attorney General Letitia James is prosecuting the leading Republican candidate for president uh, in a case in which she charges him with inflating the value of his assets so that he can borrow money. It's quite incredible that Attorney General James, 
uh, is prosecuting Trump under a law that, while it has long been on the books, no one has ever been prosecuted under this law before. And that's in the cutthroat world of New York City real estate. Now, it's highly likely, in my opinion, uh, that uh, Judge Arthur Engeron will ultimately convict Donald Trump in this matter. Trump is not entitled to a bench trial. This is, uh, this is uh, pardon me, Trump is required to undergo a bench trial. He's not entitled to a jury trial. No, that's not because of some mistake made by Trump's lawyers who failed to check a box on some form. That is uh, disinformation. Uh, but the, the most incredible thing here uh, is that I believe this is all being driven by the former president's polling, which, shows him, which is showing him increasingly ahead of incumbent president Joe Biden. Recently, uh, videos uh, have surfaced. We played some, some of them for you last weekend uh, of Attorney General James' well-documented, long-standing animus in vendetta against Donald Trump. She denies any bias, but her own words have demonstrated otherwise. I would even argue that she has demonstrated her racism because she once described the Trump administration as too pale, too male, and too stale. Combine this with the uh, gag order placed on Trump by the judge, uh, the new polls that show Trump surging, uh, the simultaneous efforts, which we've talked about here extensively, to bar Trump from the ballot based on a fallacious argument uh, that he engaged in insurrection against the United States on January 6th. And this all begins to add up to a judicial outrage unprecedented in U.S. history. Uh, and I think a majority of Americans are beginning to see it for exactly what it is, election interference. Now, uh, the judge in Manhattan, Judge Engeron, is in a difficult fix. He's slowly creating uh, a, a, an OJ-like courtroom circus, uh, as Victor Hansen Davis put it. Uh, the more Trump and his team understandably conduct the offense in a loud and successful manner, uh, they are very effectively counterpunching. It's important to note that while Trump is allowed to do this in a civil trial, can be expected to do so in the other civil trial in Manhattan, uh, he will not be able, uh, most likely, uh, to conduct this kind of outside the courtroom defense of himself in some of the criminal matters that have been illegitimately brought against him. Seems to me the more transparently partisan and exasperated the judge appears, uh, the worse it goes down uh, for public perception. Now, Judge Engeron's gag order against Trump may, be well, may well be unconstitutional, uh, and so far they're largely ignored by Trump, putting the judge in an even more difficult situation. But will a Manhattan Democrat elected judge actually jail Donald Trump for violating his likely to be successfully appealed gag order? That is, will he try to put an ex-president and possible future president of the opposing party behind bars in an election year for 
well, objecting to this outrageous travesty of justice. And will all of this do what it has done so far, end up empowering and strengthening and turbocharging the campaign of Donald Trump? This past week, independent investing journalist Laura Loomer uh, surfaced uh, an alleged Twitter, now called X, profile of Dawn Marie Engeron, the wife or perhaps former wife of the judge, uh, that was a, uh, a perfect example of the vicious anti-Trump vituperation that one can find widely on the Internet. Does all of this, uh, as Victor Hansen Davis said, uh, lead to more desk pounding, sermonizing, grimacing, mugging, and snideness by the judge? I think in the court of public opinion, that only hurts the court. It hurts the question of the legitimacy of this prosecution, uh, and it inures to the political benefit of Donald Trump. If you're just joining us, this is The Roger Stone Show, uh, and uh, we are here every Sunday from 4 to 6. Uh, we appreciate the great growth in our listenership uh, and appreciate those who are tuning in. If you don't live in the New York, New Jersey, Connecticut area, you can always tune in by going to wabcradio.com. Uh, we are broadcasting there worldwide. Uh, so there's no reason for you to miss a minute of our great programming. But as I said earlier, please go by the uh, the App Store and download the 77 WABC radio app. As a 45-year veteran of American politics, as a veteran of 13 national presidential campaigns, I can tell you uh, that the Americans who follow politics are poll crazy. Now, it's important to understand a lot about, uh, or I should say a bit perhaps, about uh, American polls. A poll is literally a snapshot in time. A poll is only accurate for the epicycle in which it is taken uh, and tabulated because public opinion in America changes that quickly. Uh, any poll... Uh, can be manipulated for a desired result, depending on whether the sample of those being polls is a uh, scientifically balanced subsample of those who will actually vote. Uh, then, of course, there is the wording of the questions, uh, as well as the order of the questions. The questions have to be written in a dispassionate way, uh, and the order of the questions is crucial uh, because you can taint the poll results by introducing either positive or negative information about either candidate prior to asking the question of the trial heat. So when you look at the polls, uh, you really should never focus on just one particular survey. More experienced readers of polls recognize that it is better to look at a large number of polls taken within the same time frame to try to determine uh, whether they are similar, whether they are directional, 
whether they tend to reflect the same trend. The New York Times Siena College poll uh, really set off uh, uh, an extraordinary struggle uh, and uh, a, uh, a reaction within the political world that even I could not see coming. That's because it showed Donald Trump leading in five of the seven swing states that will decide this election. Trump leads in the New York Times poll 52 to 41 over Joe Biden in Nevada. He leads 49 over 43 in Georgia. Uh, he leads 49 to 44 uh, in Arizona. Uh, he leads 49 to 43 in Michigan. Uh, he leads 48 to 44 in Pennsylvania. Uh, and Biden leads 47 to 45 in Wisconsin. But it isn't just the head-to-head numbers that matter. Uh, It is uh, more precisely uh, the internal uh, uh, crosstabs of these polls. By that, I mean you have to see where the movement was. Trump has made, according to the New York Times Siena College poll, uh, and also the Bloomberg Morning Consult poll, uh, which came out uh, days later, showing a very similar result. Trump has gained among African-Americans. He has gained among Hispanic Americans. uh, And he has gained uh, among younger voters, seemingly giving him an edge. The Bloomberg Morning Consult poll, yet another poll where I have respect, as I do for the Siena College methodology, shows Trump leading in Georgia, 48-41, leading in Arizona, 46-42, leading in Pennsylvania, 47-44, leading in Nevada, 46-43, leading Biden in Wisconsin, 47-46, leading in North Carolina, 48-39 for Biden, uh, and heads up at 43-43 in Michigan. But more important than any of that, Uh, was another question that was contained in the uh, Bloomberg Morning Consult poll. When asked people, uh, when asked, the voters, uh, pardon me, the voters were asked, would you say the economy was better off under Trump or better off under Biden? They said Trump, 53%, Biden, 33%. When asked about their own personal situation, and whether it was better or worse, that 52% said it was better uh, under Trump, while only 30% said they were better off under Biden. You see, as James Carville said, it's the economy, stupid. Uh, the Bloomberg uh, Morning Consult poll reflected that, where 41% said that the economy was the number one issue in the country, while immigration was only at 9%. The threat to democracy, 8%. Social Security and Medicare, a low 7%. Health care, 6%. Abortion rights, 5%. Climate change, 4%. Guns, 4%. Crime, 3%. Uh, and the war in the Middle East, only 3%. Like the last election, this election will be deeply affected by the economy. As I said earlier, it's very important to take a group 
of polls uh, and try to look at the average. That's what real clear politics does, taking many, many credible polls that use solid uh, scientific methodology, taking them within the same time period. And if you look at the real clear politics polling average today, it shows Trump at 45.6 and Biden at 44.5. This is interesting because uh, Biden was at 52.1 and uh, Trump was at 41.9 four years ago. Uh, Under the real clear politics polling average, Trump uh, leads in Georgia by 5.5, leads in Nevada by 4, leads in Arizona at 3.7, leads in Pennsylvania by 1.5, leads uh, in Michigan, uh, and only in Wisconsin uh, does Joe Biden lead. The, uh, The same thing can be said of the polls that include Robert Kennedy. Uh, So far, uh, it appears that Kennedy actually polls disproportionately from Trump rather than Biden. This was true in the uh, Messenger-Harris poll, the Quinnipiac poll, the USA Today Suffolk poll, and the Harvard-Harris poll. Uh, In every one of those, uh, it appears uh, that uh, Robert F. Kennedy if he gets on the ballot, would pull disproportionately from Donald Trump. It's important to, again, look at the averages of the polls. Speaker Mike Johnson said when he was a member of Congress uh, that uh, he thought there was more than enough evidence uh, to justify the impeachment of President Joe Biden. Last week, however... He now says that there is not yet, his words, yet enough evidence to do so. Congressman James Comer, the chairman of the Oversight Committee, has issued subpoenas to Hunter Biden, uh, the president's brother, James Biden, uh, and the, uh, the president's brother's wife, Sarah Biden. But it remains to be seen uh, whether those subpoenas will be honored. When Steve Bannon uh, and Peter Navarro refused to testify for the House, a referral was sent to the Justice Department. They were very quickly charged with contempt of Congress and convicted. Both men are appealing their conviction. There was certainly never enough evidence to justify the impeachment of Donald Trump. We now know that, but it took House Democrats just five days to do exactly that. In the meantime, Hunter Biden is suing former Overstock.com chairman Patrick Byrne because Patrick Byrne said on Twitter uh, that in June of this year, Hunter Biden, uh, according to Byrne, uh, reached out to the government of Iran offering to have his father unfreeze Iranian assets in exchange for a bribe. Hunter Biden's lawyers say that that comment is a defamatory statement. It is not only false, but it is also malicious. Now, I know Patrick Byrne. Uh, He is a a man of great integrity. He's a man with very deep pockets. And I frankly doubt that he would ever say anything that he could not document. My guess here is that 
they filed this lawsuit that in case Hunter Biden does decide to testify before the House, when he's asked about this alleged bribe contempt, it would allow him to say, my lawyers have advised me that the matter is under litigation and I can't comment. But the 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 flip-flop of Speaker Mike Johnson, well, this is why people get disgusted about politics. Uh, I'm Roger Stone. This is The Roger Stone Show. I want to remind you, uh, we are going to be taking your calls uh, at uh, 800-848-9222 in our final half hour. Uh, and uh, coming up uh, next uh, on The Roger Stone Show is... Uh, my longtime friend and former partner, the man more responsible for the nomination of Donald Trump than anybody uh, other than Donald Trump himself, that would be uh, Paul Manafort. Uh, I'm Roger Stone. Buckle your seatbelt and stand by for more. This is The Roger Stone Show, and if you love politics, well, you're in the right place. This is The Roger Stone Show on 77 WABC. A man who's gone through hell, but he's kept going and he's smart and he's strong and people love him. Not everybody, but people love him and respect him. Roger Stone. Now, here's Roger Stone. Welcome. I'm Roger Stone, and we're back. It's The Roger Stone Show, and joining me now is Paul Manafort. Uh, Paul Manafort is a political consultant and government affairs professional whose career spans five decades uh, and who has always been devoted to furthering the interests of the United States on the world stage. As campaign chairman for Donald Trump's 2016 presidential campaign, Paul Manafort is the man who put into place the structure that delivered the nomination and eventually the general election of President Donald J. Trump. Between 1975 and 1980, Paul Manafort worked on the campaigns of President Gerald Ford and President Ronald Reagan, playing a key role in the nomination and election of Reagan in 1980. I know because I was there working alongside him. In 1981, Paul Manafort and I co-founded Black Manafort and Stone, uh, and in 2009, he founded his current company, DMP International. I am honored to have my longtime friend, one of the most skilled political operatives and analysts in America today, Paul Manafort, join us on The Roger Stone Show. Roger, it's great to be with you. Uh, full disclosure here, uh, I first met Paul Manafort at the 1970 Connecticut State Republican Convention. Uh, we were both supporting Congressman Tom Meskel for governor. Meskel went on to be one of the greatest governors uh, in Connecticut history, something he doesn't get credit for. Uh, we were colleagues uh, in uh, college Republicans in the D.C. area. Uh, then in 1977, Paul, who was uh, elected national auditor of the Young Republicans, uh, was supposed to run for Young Republican national chairman, and I was supposed to manage his campaign. Uh, but because Paul had a very attractive offer to 
work for President Gerald Ford and because the bulk of the people in our electoral uh, coalition within the Young Republicans supported a challenge uh, by Governor Ronald Reagan, we decided to change places. And therefore, I became a candidate for Young Republican National Chairman, and Paul Manafort very ably managed my campaign. He did insist that I had to smile if I was going to be a candidate. And, and you even did it for a little while, Roger. That was the impressive thing. <laughs> for, for a little while. You were always better candidate uh, material uh, than I was. Uh, look, Paul, you and I have been through the meat grinder, as our friend General Michael Flynn. I don't want to focus on the past here. I really want to focus on the future. Uh, but uh, after spending $30 million, uh, the Mueller investigation never turned up any evidence of Russian collusion. The, the, the false narrative that is constantly uh, recycled is that you gave polling information to a man named Konstantin Kalimnik and that Kalimnik uh, was a Russian intelligence asset uh, who presumably passed that information on to Vladimir Putin. The problem with that narrative, reading from your own book, Political Prisoner, Persecuted, Prosecuted, But Not Silenced by Paul Manafort. Folks, you can get that at Amazon.com or BarnesandNoble.com. It's an extraordinary book uh, of perseverance, uh, faith, and survival. Uh, But based on your book and also the investigative reporting of Matt Taibbi, not exactly a conservative, uh, I don't believe that Konstantin Kalimnik was a Russian asset at all. In fact, I think it's far more likely that he was a U.S. intelligence asset. Tell us about well, this. Yeah, that's exactly right. And by the way, the Mueller people knew that as well. Uh, you know, Kalemnik, uh, if, you know, actually Kalemnik's career in, in, in the activities over with me started when I hired him from working for John McCain, when he was the number two person at the International Republican Institute in Moscow for McCain. Uh, and uh, and I brought him on because I needed somebody to help me uh, in, in in Ukraine. Uh, Constantine was constantly dealing with not just the United States but Germany uh, uh, and, uh, and and the UK uh, at, at their request, uh, and was a source to them, such an important source to the State Department in the United States of the United States that uh, they actually gave him a code name. And and Mueller had all this information. Uh, the, the, the there's not one iota of evidence other than the fact that Costin served in the military that he was required to do for two years uh, before he left uh, and and went into the private world. Uh, except for that contact, there's not one bit of evidence that he had anything to do with, with uh, Russian intelligence, Russian military, or anything else. But they had nothing. And, and, and that was the problem. Mueller needed some book for the for the fictitious co- collusion that, uh, that you know you and I you know, fought for five years. Um, and so they just used that. And all the cable traffic of of the U.S. government uh, from Kiev to Washington about things that Kremlin was helping them on uh, were ignored. And uh, and in fact, today, almost everything from my trial has been uh, re- you know, re- made public. Except for that cable traffic, <laughs> because if they let that cable traffic become out, it would very clearly identify 
if, if Kalevnik was working for anybody, he was working for uh, the United States, not Russia. Uh, and in fact, the other thing, and I, I say this in my book, and then I can move on. Yeah, when, when, when I was working with Yanukovych, who, by the way, is the reason why Ukraine was in the process of becoming a part of Europe. Uh, it was, not, it was yeah, I, I, my activity with Yanukovych, other than electing him, was working with the Europeans to bring Ukraine into Europe. And they knew everything that he was doing to bring Ukraine into Europe. The, the ugly secret was that, the, that Mer, Andrew, Angela Merkel really didn't want Ukraine in Europe because it was going to undercut Germany's influence and, and uh and also because they were, he, she was being pressured by Putin to not let Putin become, not let Yanukovych bring Ukraine into uh, into the European Union. Uh, notwithstanding all of that, the, the American people, I mean, the, the, Mueller knew all of this. He knew all the activity. It was all public information. They ignored all of that, uh, uh, and and so there, there there was no if there was any Russian record, it was what I was doing against Putin. And what Kalemnik was doing for the U.S., but you, haven't, you know, you haven't seen those records because they're not released by trial. Uh, one more question about the past, and I want to talk about uh, campaign 2024. Looking back at all the government cases and charges against you, in which they essentially took 15-year-old financial charges, which had been rejected earlier for lack of evidence, uh, and recycled them. No charge pertaining to Donald Trump, and no real charge pertaining to Russian collusion. Uh, and now you look at the kid glove treatment uh, of the IRS, uh, but more precisely of the government regarding Foreign uh, Re Registration Act violations. Uh, what are your thoughts about this double standard? Uh, you were falsely charged of violating the Foreign Agents Registration Act. You never actually lobbied. You did hire others to lobby or uh, persuade your client to hire others, notably former Congressman Vin Weber uh, and Tony Podesta, the brother of campaign manager for Hillary Clinton, John Podesta. They did actually lobby, yet neither one of them was charged. Uh, what do you say about the fact that Hunter Biden, the evidence of which is overwhelming, has lobbied for foreign interests, did not file with Faris, appears to me to be in violation but is yet to be charged. Uh, Roger, you're actually absolutely right. Every charge they brought against me, I had been cleared of prior to the special counsel ever existing. And by the, by the bureaucracies, by the IRS bureaucracy, by the Treasury bureaucracy, and by the DOJ FARA bureaucracy. I actually had an agreement with FARA. Uh, where they, under, they recognized that I did nothing wrong, no criminal, forget criminal, no civil penalties, nothing. Uh, that Mueller threw out the agreement uh, when he when he took took office. Uh, so yes, you're right. Everything that they came at me on, what I had been cleared on. And ironically, when you look at what's going on with Hunter Biden, he has on his laptop direct evidence of lobbying. I mean, emails, meetings, uh, you know, you know, contacts with people in the State Department that that he was setting up for other other people to meet with, that are clear violations. And the problem that, they, that Hunter Biden has, and this is what the White House is protecting him of, is that if they are able to charge him for fair violations, uh, and if they, if they bring the conspiracy arguments that they concocted for me, the, the same arguments just changing the names, the, there's a path of evidence in his, on his laptop on every one of the charges, which will allow them to, go, to pierce the statute of limitations, 
to go back at all of the uh, all of the activity in 2010, 11, 12, where he was not paying taxes, and get into the tax records from there. That will probably have a very damning tale, uh, story to tell about the Biden enterprise and, and, and what corruption was going on by, with the family. So, so they've got a real problem. And, and all they've got to do is just take the, the stats, all the statutes they went against me on, charge Hunter with the same issues, and look at the laptop, and it's there. All the evidence is there. Uh, in Italian, uh, the word Manafort means strong hand. Uh, and I must say, your book, uh, Political Prisoner, Persecuted, Prosecuted, But Not Silenced by Paul Manafort, is a testimony to your strength as a person, as a man, uh, but also you're very candid about how your faith in Jesus Christ helped you and your family through this crucible. Uh, I really highly recommend this book. You you lived through hell, uh, and uh, you lived to tell about it. Uh, you're, uh, you're in excellent spirits, uh, and I, I God bless you and your wife uh, for your survival. My wife and I know a little bit about what this is like, uh, but nothing compared to you. Uh, our late friend Lee Atwater, what do you think he would think of our politics today? Uh, specifically, what would he think of the Biden campaign bypassing Iowa and New Hampshire and going straight to Lee Atwater's home state of South Carolina? Well, he would actually, I think, admire the fact that they have the courage to just thumb their nose at the whole process and do it their way. Um, yeah, it, it, the you know, Atwater always was one that, as you know, would push the envelope on, on whatever he thought was necessary to win. And I think the Biden tactics of what he did in 2020, hiding in the the, the basement of, up in Delaware, and now what he's doing you know, with, uh, with the Democratic process, hijacking the whole nominating process to the point that he drove Robert Kennedy out of the out of the uh, primary. Uh, you know, Atwater would say these guys are ruthless and they'll do anything to win. And certainly, you know, the, where they would probably go beyond Atwater is Atwater, as you know, always had a standard of keeping things inside the boundary of what the facts were. You know, the Biden White House doesn't do that at all. And, uh, and it just amazes me that they could continue to stand up there and talk about the border is closed and the uh, Bidenomics is making everybody's life better and, there is no uh, there's, there is no crime process problem on uh, you know from 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 all these illegal immigrants that are. It's just amazing to me uh, how he is so bold in fighting the truth. And what he doesn't understand, I, I know you believe because you and I have run these kinds of campaigns, is we know that the truth ultimately comes out. And if you just stay on the message and get it out there, it's going to come out. And Biden is going to be. We've seen the floor fall off. Is as, as I say when I speak around the country, this reminds me a lot of 1980 uh, with the Reagan-Carter races, you remember, uh, it, which was a very close race for most of the race. And Carter was winning for most of the time. Uh, and it wasn't until the last, you know, the only debate happened when people got a chance to, to, to hear Reagan, but then finally realized that they had to make a choice that the floor fell out from Carter and Reagan won a historic victory, uh, you know, landslide victory. Well, I mean, that floor fell out from Biden in the last month. Unfortunately, it's not the month, the couple of weeks before the election. It's a year before the election. But I, I had that same sense and feeling in the last month as all of a sudden these 
you know, the polls, not the ballot question, which, of course, happened, but the internals of those polls showing, you know, what the issue agenda of the American people is, showing how they rate Trump, showing how they rate Biden on that issue agenda. You know, and, and, his, and consistently Trump uh, is, is favored over Biden on all of the major issues. Uh, and it's it, and it's just a matter of time before people say enough. And, and I think they've reached that point. And uh, uh, the fact that Biden believes he can win and has and is hijacked the Democratic Party's nominating process to keep him from having any any competition, uh, I give him credit for because I think if there was any competition that was real out there, he would have had problems. I, I think Robert Kennedy could have given him problems. Um, yeah, and, and as a result, he's going to be nominated, in a, and he's going to be very weak nominated. He's not going to have the benefit of the nomination process strengthening him because the American people have really stopped listening to what he says. Uh, you know, nobody knows more about the Republican Party presidential nominating system than you do. Uh, is this contest for the nomination over? Yes. It's it's been over for a while. I mean, the the, the Trump campaign is, is really running an extra, a brilliant campaign. I mean, they, there's a lot that they're doing that you're not seeing or hearing about because it's the mechanics of politics, not the public relations of politics. Uh, but but uh, the campaign manager Susie Wiles and, and Chris Lasvida, they have been dealing with the arcane rules of of, of, of uh, you know, how delegates are going to be selected. Uh, they've tightened the rules up in states. They've improved the situations in states. For example, in California, they they worked with a party out there to establish a rule that if a candidate gets 50% of the primary vote, he gets all of the delegates. Not, they're not, not proportionate, but all of them. Well, they've moved California up to, in, in the calendar dates. Uh, Reagan, I mean, Reagan, uh, Trump can be the nominee, really, you know, right around right after Super Tuesday. Uh, if everything the way it's shaking out, uh, and, but even even if there was some slippage somewhere, which I don't see, they have they have run a very strong delegate hunt operation where they're not going to be they're going to get more than their fair share of delegates uh, out of every one of the states. Unlike what was going on in, in 2016 uh, when I came on board, it was, yeah, what what was going on in 2016, as you know. Is the Cruz campaign was running a second ballot campaign. Their attitude was to stop Trump on the first ballot, uh, and then have the second ballot have free all the delegates uh, to vote their conscience. And what Cruz was doing was where Trump was winning the primaries, uh, Cruz was electing delegates uh, that some of whom would be for Donald Trump in the first ballot by by law, but would be freed after the first ballot. Just vote whoever they wanted. So Trump could have had 55 percent of the of the de- delegates uh, you know, committed to him, but he wouldn't have had 55 percent of the bodies of the de- of delegates. And Cruz's strategy was to find a way to to chip uh, Trump down under the 50 percent margin. And as you know, through rules, processes, and, and platform challenges, there are ways to do that. And they had their strategy. Uh, and they could have denied Trump the nomination. Unfortunately for them, you know, they, you know, we knew, how, you know, I knew how to do this, and we were able to bring on people as well uh, in enough time 
uh, to compliment Trump so that what he was winning at the ballot box, he was keeping at the delegate uh, phase, uh, which is all I really did. I mean, he was winning the delegates, but he was going to get cheated out of the, the benefit of winning uh, from the process. And uh, we kept that from happening. And uh, he got the number. He got, in the end, uh, when it was clear that Cruz's strategy was going to fa- fail, uh, we were able to work with the you know, Republican, with Ryan's previous and who wanted to have a Republican president, needed to have a Republican president elected. And uh, we were able to put together an, you know, a presumptive nominee strategy that got Trump what he deserved to get and ended any kind of you know, serious fight at the convention. Uh, if you're just tuning in, folks, this is the Roger Stone Show, and I am interviewing uh, Paul Manafort, a political operative, a political consultant, uh, and public uh, affairs uh, professional, uh, uh, the man who I still believe more responsible for anyone other than Donald Trump himself because he beat back that coalition of Ted Cruz, the Bushes, and John Kasich at the convention who had a second ballot strategy to steal the nomination. By the way, it happened before, folks, in 1952. Uh, Robert Taft showed up in Chicago with more than enough votes to be nominated on the first ballot, but a clever strategy in the uh, credentials and rules uh, committees of that convention ended up nominating Dwight Eisenhower, who went on to become president. Paul, I'm sure you saw that West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin has dropped out of the Senate race. He seems to be openly flirting with the No Labels ballot initiative. I hear that our old partner, Charlie Black, who used to be a Republican, now actively involved in that no ballots effort, uh, no labels effort. Do you think Joe Manchin uh, is going to as uh, an independent, uh, perhaps with Mitt Romney as his running mate? I mean, I, I mean, I have thought for you know for the last year that Manchin would not run for re-election and would would take a look at a it, it, the no labels ticket. I think he's going to see where they get on the ballot. If they don't get on ballots anywhere, I think he'll, you know, he'll do what he always does, which is dance, but not, uh, you know, you know, dance around, but not make a final decision. Uh, however, if they got it out of the ballots, I think he will run. And uh, <clears throat> I don't fear him, um, but I, you know, I think he wants to run. Uh, you know, and he, I don't think he cares. He'd like to win, but I don't think if he, he, he if he can Hands himself, and in his mind, by by running and you know, looking like a, a savior, even if he doesn't win, I think he that plays to his his personality. Um, so I I have every expectation that if they get out of the ballot in enough of the states, that he will be a candidate, and and uh, and I think they, he would probably be the one they would naturally go to. Uh, you have a long history in Ukraine. You understand the geopolitics of that part of the world. Uh, what, in your opinion, is the answer to resolve this and stop the killing? Well, the problem in Ukraine has been that, you know, Biden is trying to make it look like he's this great war president. Uh, the problem is everything he's done has been too late. He talks the game, but he doesn't deliver until the moment has passed for the delivery to be impactful. You know, everybody understood that last summer was going to be the critical time for uh, for Zelensky and the Ukrainians to penetrate the the lines that uh, 
the Russians had put along the eastern uh, coast. Uh, and they understood what they needed to do that, from planes to, uh, to uh, armored tankers, uh, tanks that could break, uh, break through. And Biden talked the game but didn't deliver any of what they needed. So as a result, they, weren't, they didn't make the progress they needed to make this summer. This summer. <clears throat> and we're now in truly a quagmire situation um, because the Ukrainians are suffering. And uh, and Putin is just playing a waiting game. Uh, unfortunately, I don't see a positive situation coming out of it. I, I think there's going to be a we're going to need to have a strong president. As long as Biden is president, this war is just going to you know meander on. Putin is going to wait. Uh, Putin may. I think Putin will try and do some negotiating with Biden uh, sooner than the, now that the. The summer offensive has failed because I think he's afraid to have to face Donald, President Trump uh, again uh, you know, in the consequences of what that'll mean. Um, so I expect to see Putin working with the Europeans to put pressure on, uh, on Zelensky. Uh, I mean, Biden is going to talk the talk, but he's not delivering anything that's going to have any impact at all. Uh, no, nobody fears what he's saying. Uh, and he's going to be distracted by what's going on in the Gulf, where he's mismanaging that as well, though. All right. Unfortunately, we are out of time. Let me thank Paul Manfort and highly recommend to you his book, uh, Political Prisoner, Persecuted, Prosecuted, But Not Silenced. You can go to Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com. Again, Political Prisoner, Persecuted, Prosecuted, and Not Silenced by Paul Manfort. Paul Manfort, thank you for joining us on The Roger Stone Show. Roger, it's great being with you again. This is the Roger Stone Show on 77 WABC. A man who's gone through hell, but he's kept going and he's smart and he's strong and people love him. Not everybody, but people love him and respect him. Roger Stone. Now, here's Roger Stone. This is Roger Stone, and we're back on the Roger Stone Show at 77 WABC Radio, where we're making AM Talk Radio great again. My guest today is former Illinois Governor Rod Blagojevich. I must say, in a 45-year career in American politics, I have met few political figures with the skill or talent of Rod Blagojevich. I now see very clearly why they had to short-circuit his career in yet another witch hunt where he was convicted on totally fabricated, trumped-up, and politically motivated charges because otherwise I have very little doubt that Rod Blagojevich would have ended up as President of the United States. To say that Rob Blagojevich has lived an interesting life would be uh, an understatement, to say the least. Not only was he the first Democrat elected to the office of governor in Illinois uh, in 26 years, he was also the first Illinois governor to be impeached, later known as federal prisoner number 40892-424, after being convicted on public corruption charges having to do with the U.S. Senate seat being vacated by Barack Obama when he became president. To this very day, Governor Rod Blagojevich 
uh, insists on his innocence. And having reviewed his case extensively, he's absolutely right. Uh, because what Rod Blagojevich and I, frankly, have both been through, and because we both recognize that it's very similar to what President Donald Trump is going through today, well, that's really why I invited him here. Uh, to think that uh, Rod Blagojevich was born to politics is to misunderstand him. He was born to a blue-collar family in Chicago. Rod shined shoes, delivered pizzas, worked in a meatpacking plant when he was growing up. He also worked two summers on the Alaskan pipeline. Thanks to the sacrifice of his parents and his continued hard work, he attended and graduated from Northwestern University, went on to get a law degree from Pepperdine University. He was an assistant state's attorney for Cook County, Illinois. He was in the Illinois State House, and in 1996, he was elected to the U.S. Congress, where he served until 2003. He also clerked for the legendary Chicago alderman, Eddie Vradoliak, who I actually once actually met. Uh, in 2002, his personal version of the American Dream became true when he beat the odds to become the 40th governor of the state of Illinois. Uh, as I indicated earlier, uh, in a controversy over the vacated U.S. Senate seat of Barack Obama, Rod Blagojevich was falsely charged with trying to sell that seat. Uh, but uh, that is bogus, as you will hear, and I'm very, very proud to welcome Governor Rod Blagojevich to the Roger Stone Show. Let's say our slogan here at the show is, if you're indicted, you're invited, and Rod Blagojevich was indicted, but he is not guilty. In fact, I would say Rod Blagojevich did nothing wrong. Governor, welcome to the Roger Stone Show. Thank you, Roger. And neither did you do anything wrong. Thanks for that introduction. So let's uh, go through your situation quickly, because I think it's appropriate that we set the table, because, uh, as you say in a Politico piece this week, uh, President Donald Trump is being subjected to an entirely politically motivated uh, and bogus series uh, of uh, criminal indictments in various jurisdictions. But I've really studied your case very clearly. Uh, and what's extraordinary to me is that it really surrounds, uh, centers around, I should say, tape recordings in which the government alleges that you tried to sell a vacant U.S. Senate seat, but the government neither would let you testify, nor would they actually play the tapes that uh, these uh, fabrications are alleged. To me, that seems pretty outrageous. So walk us through the witch hunt to which you were subjected. Sure, Roger. Well, let me just start out by saying to your listeners, uh, service you're providing to them by giving better explanations to things that people mostly see superficially based upon headlines and how the news outlets cover news. Um, and what you're doing when you point out what they're doing to President Trump, and thank you for what you said about my circumstances, is I think the greatest constitutional crisis in American history since the Civil War. What we have now are these weaponized criminal prosecutors who've injected themselves into the political process engaging in police state politics. They're political hitmen. 
and they trump up things that aren't crimes and criminalize them because they can't beat somebody in an election or they're afraid that somebody else might actually win an election. What they did to me at the AAA level to a Democrat governor all those years ago, they're doing today at the major league level to a Republican president and leading presidential candidate, Donald Trump. And it's unbelievable that they're doing this in broad daylight and half the country believes it. Um, And so I think what I can do with my little voice that I have and what you're certainly able to do with your radio show and some of the other uh, vehicles that you have to disseminate information is to do the best we can to try to wake up the American people to this unbelievable threat because this goes to the very heart of our freedoms as Americans, our right as a free people to self-government, to choose our leaders in elections that are free and fair and not contaminated or destroyed by these prosecutors who have uncontrolled power, unlimited resources, and uh, frankly, advance their careers by going after high-level elected officials and taking them down. Um, So having said that, I'll tell you that I learned how rigged the system is. I used to trust the system. I thought those prosecutors were the good guys. I have to still believe that most of them are, but I think those that are involved in the, the political process I think they're wicked. I think they're evil. And I think they're a bigger threat to our country than any outside uh, foreign power um, because they're going to undermine freedom from the inside. And I would never give in. I fought back. They tried me not once but twice. They failed to convict me on their fake corruption charges at a first trial and then tried me a second time. And what they were able to do was they simply moved lines and they criminalized things that were legal. And among the things you talked about were those FBI tapes they made tapes and they recorded me on telephone conversations and uh, for a period of six weeks and played only two percent of those tapes they took the ugliest ones where I'm using profanity and things of that sort but they don't they, they took them out of context and when we asked to be able to fill the context and actually complete the conversation I, I was denied that uh, at the trials and to this day I can't get those tapes heard there's a gag order on it And when I see what they're doing to President Trump, it's all deja vu all over again. I really, truly believe they see my case as a test case. And these prosecutors today in all those different jurisdictions, all Democrats, by the way, and political operatives is what they are. What they've done is is I think they study what what was done to me, and they're using it now against President Trump in Georgia, in Washington, D.C., in New York State. And it's – I, my heart goes out to President Trump and his family because I know how hard this is to go through. You, Roger, you've experienced it yourself. You know how hard this is this is to go through. But in that political article, I talk about how brave he is and how proud I am of him as a citizen of this country that Donald Trump is standing up against this and is not afraid to talk about things. Because when you're innocent, you get on the stand and you talk. Yeah, I uh, I think that these uh, prosecutors uh, are power is turbocharged uh, by a media which is either lazy or complicit. So the facts or even the other side of the story literally never gets aired. I remember very specifically uh, when you were going through your crucible and you saying repeatedly, "Play the tapes, just play the tapes." The tapes would have established context, and I think. In this particular case, uh, you can read it several different ways. Some places they say uh, you were trying to sell a U.S. Senate I've found no evidence of that. Other places say that you were maneuvering to, to save the seat for yourself. I think we call that 
politics. I think you were convicted of engaging in acts of politics. Uh, is that not right? No, that's exactly right. You know, I'm writing a book, and the book is basically this, Roger. It's a story that starts with President-elect Obama and ends with President Trump. And in between, there's me, a former governor from Illinois, in prison, as you say, as inmate number 4089244, in a higher security prison behind the razor wire, where my home was a six-foot-by-eight-foot prison cell, living with Crips and Bloods and Sorenos and Nortenos and, you know, Aryan Brotherhood uh, uh, gangs and all these others, including murderers. They put me in a higher prison. And I have all kinds of stories. I think it's an interesting story. But it began because Obama sent an emissary to me on the night before his election saying that he would like me to appoint a woman by the name of Valerie Jarrett as a senator. And his emissary was a big labor boss by the name of Tom Balanoff, mutually friends with both of us, supporters of us. We were Democrats. And uh, he uh, said, Brock wants me to know, wants me to ask you, what do you want? Can I come and see you and talk about it? So what Obama did was politics. It was wanting to make a political deal. And the next day I'm on the phone and I got done running something like eight miles. It's cold. I was stretching on the floor. I'm talking to one of my aides and I say, you know what? Somebody suggested we should just make Obama happy and, try, and not make any political deal. And the both of us on the phone said that would be naive and a missed opportunity. And I said, quote, unquote, this is effing golden. I'm not giving it up for nothing. Now, by itself, what does that mean? If the next sentence is I want $100 million in a Swiss bank account, you got me. That would have been criminal, but it was not that. It was There was none of that anywhere. And they arrested me as a sitting governor. You're no stranger to this either. Six o'clock in the morning with SWAT teams around my house. And I, I, I take great pride in the fact that I can compare myself to you a little bit, Roger. I was Roger Stone before Roger Stone. They had SWAT teams around my house. And uh, the night before, I'm on those FBI tapes. I had decided what my senator was going to be, and it was going to be a deal that was going to be very good for the people of Illinois, and Rahm Emanuel had agreed to be the go-between. But I could never get those tapes played. And they arrested me before I could actually pick the senator. Now, they convicted me on the Senate seat with fake jury instructions, but eventually the appellate court reversed those charges. They said it was nothing more than routine political log rolling. And yet, as Winston Churchill said, a lie can travel halfway around the world before the truth has a chance to put its pants on. And I've got my pants basically up around knee level, Roger, because I still can't get this you know, that lie off of me. People still believe that. At least some do. Uh, I really don't think you get enough credit for your your service as governor. You created historic access to affordable health care for the children of Illinois. Uh, you provided for free mammograms and pap smears for tens of thousands of women who had no health insurance. You established free public transportation for every senior citizen and disabled person in your state. Uh, and you, on several occasions, blocked your own party's attempts to raise taxes on the working families of Illinois. You were a, an enormously effective and successful governor, uh, yet all of that public service gets buried, yet there is no evidence whatsoever that Rod Blagojevich ever took a single penny uh, and put it in his pocket. There is no corruption here. As I said, you engaged in politics. Let's turn to this trial in New York. You mentioned uh, the gag order. Uh, there's a lot of information regarding what you went through that is still uh, publicly sealed so that people can't see what actually happened. There are audio tapes which have never been played in any public forum. Uh, in my case, they uh, they issued a gag order on me so that I could not 
defend myself on social media. My social media at that point was pretty meager, having been banned for life on Twitter uh, and Facebook uh, and, and Instagram. But nonetheless, the judge insisted that if I defended myself, that I might taint the D.C. jury pool. So it didn't matter that the Washington Post and the uh, and CNN and MSNBC were crucifying me on a daily basis, accusing me of being a Russian intelligence asset, ridiculous, uh, uh, questioning my patriotism, uh, accusing me of uh, being involved in Russian interference uh, in the 2020 election, of which the government provided no evidence whatsoever, by the way, at trial. Uh, but now they are seeking in D.C., uh, and uh, to a certain extent in New York, to gag President Donald Trump. Now, it's interesting because I challenged the gag order in the same circuit that Donald Trump is challenging his gag order. It went to the Circuit Court of Appeals, who in my case sat on my, uh, my uh, writ of mandamus for eight months. Eight months while I was sustaining damage, eight months while I was getting the daylights kicked out of me uh, in the public uh, opinion market of D.C., where I would ultimately go to trial. Uh, and ultimately, uh, the appeals court ruled that my, my motion was not ripe for decision because I had not asked the initial judge who imposed the gag order on me to lift it, which, of course, she never would have done. Now, uh, in D.C., the judge has issued a gag order. The same exact appeals panel that essentially screwed me uh, has now stayed that for a decision, making it very clear that they've stayed it. They haven't made a decision. What do you think, Rod, of the efforts to gag President Donald Trump? It reeks of corruption. And you just explained your experience, and I've explained part of mine with the tapes and other things that were, you know, not allowed to be heard. Um, it reeks of co- corruption, and it's just more evidence that this is nothing more than a police state political hit job that they're doing to President Trump. You know, you talked about how they put a gag order on you because they don't want you to have any influence over the jury pool, but they're free to go out and malign you and call you a Russian asset and lie about you, and you can't defend yourself. It's upside down. This is supposed to be a system where the individual has the rights that are protecting him from a big, abusive, powerful government. And yet today in America, it's just the opposite. And it's government with all of this power and a complicitous media that is, as you say, either lazy or actually partly part of the effort. And in some cases, it's both. But in both cases, with the media, it's driven by rate by ratings and advertising dollars. They're not doing their jobs as true journalists to dig into the truth. Some of them do, but too many of them don't. And so you get out there and you're all by yourself and they're telling all these lies about you and you're powerless to do anything about it. And so you get out and you try to explain it because you have an obligation to yourself, your family, and to the people who hired you in case of President Trump, the voters, in my case, the voters, in your case, not only your family, but all those political associates and those political supporters of yours, you have an obligation to say, look, I didn't, you know, what the truth is. If I did it, accept responsibility. But you didn't do it. I didn't do it. Trump isn't, hasn't done anything illegal on any of these cases. And so getting up there and doing the best you can to try to talk about why you didn't do it is actually a service, a public service. The problem with it is, under the system we have, is that when you do that, if they get you in these rigged trials, which unfortunately I believe is going to be the case 
with President Trump because these are all Democratic courts in Democratic jurisdictions with Democratic prosecutors. If they get you, like I, they got me eventually. And by the way, they were all Republicans that did it to me. And uh, if they get you, you get punished. I got 14 years in prison, Roger. And like you say, don't even accuse me of taking a single penny. It was all political talk. And they gave me that 14 years because I had the so-called temerity to be, quote, unquote, disrespectful to the court and the prosecutors for fighting back and asserting my innocence. And that's not how America's supposed to be. It's supposed to be just the opposite. So there's a lot wrong with our country, and it's really being manifested now with what they're doing to President Trump. And, you know, if, if you don't like Donald Trump or you don't like me, vote us out of office. But don't trump up fake charges uh, and criminalize things that aren't crimes, that are routine practices, in Trump's case in business or in, in politics and some of the other cases against him, in your case and in my case. Trump these things up uh, and then – What's shocking to me is that the media and all these so-called civil libertarians like the ACLU and these other groups that are supposed to be about protecting our rights and freedoms, they just join in because they're partisan warriors rather than true Americans who are more concerned about the welfare of our country as opposed to, let's say, one or two or you know one political party. See, I think what these times call for now, which we're probably not going to get because the hyper-partisan nature of our politics today – what I say in that article with Politico is I'd like to see Jerry Nadler, who was so much against what was being done to Bill Clinton in the late 1990s, join hands with Jim Jordan and actually exercise oversight over these weaponized prosecutors because there is no check and balance on them. That's not going to happen because there's political advantage for the Democrats to do what they're doing to Trump. But it's too bad they put politics over their country and over what America is supposed to be. And that is this place where the individual has freedoms and rights. And they're supposed to be protected against the power of government. Folks, if you're just tuning in, this is the Roger Stone Show on 77 WABC Radio. Uh, and we're here with former Illinois Governor Rod Blagojevich, who has a very provocative piece in Politico this past week in which he criticizes the tsunami of lawfare being waged uh, against uh, President Donald Trump. Uh, Rod Blagojevich writes, this is a classic case of weaponized prosecutors, whether they're federal or even elected, and hyper-partisan prosecutions uh, against political figures. Uh, it started with what they did to me, meaning him, a Democrat governor. They've taken it to the next level now, he writes, and the Democrats are doing it to the former Republican president and leading Republican candidate for president. I think that is a fabulous uh, summation Here's my question, uh, uh, Rod, which you and I are both active in politics in the 70s, the 80s, and the 90s. Uh, and I, I, I'm a Republican, you're a Democrat. We went all out to beat each other in free, fair, honest, well, in Chicago, I'm not so sure, but uh, <laughs> allegedly free, fair, and honest elections. Uh, but when did this process become so deadly? In other words, when did the political process change from just trying to defeat your partisan opponent to try to, to destroy your opponent, put them in jail, and impoverish their families? When did this happen? It seems to have happened in the, in the flash of an eye. I think it started with President Nixon and Watergate. And I think that, you know, uh, it, 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 when it, it took a, it was a historic effort to remove a president who, not long before his troubles with Watergate, 
he was he had won a landslide, historic landslide victory, the largest one I think in American history in 1972, and uh, you know made some misjudgments whether he did or didn't you know participate in an effort to you know not to, to cover up, and which I'm not condoning. On, on the other hand, so much of that were routine practices back then that both sides were doing. Some of the stuff that Nixon was doing was being done to him by the Kennedys and. You know, it's the rough and tumble part of politics. And maybe if you accidentally or you make a mistake and cross a line, you know, the problem in politics is these things get inflated and they, they become powerful tools in the political process. And politics trumps everything for both political parties. And so they, the Democrats saw an opportunity with Nixon and they jumped on it. And, and back then there was no Fox News. So Nixon had no way to be able to get his side of the story out in any kind of fair way. The mainstream media has always, in my lifetime, tipped towards my party, the Democrat Party. And they saw an opportunity to uh, destroy Nixon, and, and I think it, it really started there. Now, then in the 1990s, Bill Clinton gets that, you know, terrible thing he did with a young intern, which is a Me Too issue. And these so-called Me Too feminists were all about defending Clinton back then. But Clinton, what he did, as bad as that was, was not something the Constitution said was impeachable. Now the other party, the Republicans, saw that as a way to destroy him, and I was there. And one thing about me, I've been consistent about all of it. I've been against it all. You know, I was against what they did to Clinton. You know, as growing up as a kid, I didn't like what was being done to Nixon, and um, I certainly didn't like what they did to me. And I hate what they're doing to President Trump. And it's like anything in life. You know, when one kind of thing that you do works, then over time it's taken to a higher level and a higher level. And I would suggest that what's happening with our politics today with these uncontrolled criminal prosecutors is a cancer. And it's a cancer. It's a tumor that's been growing for 30 years. And my hope is that, God willing, President Trump is successful in this election. And I believe he has a tremendous opportunity to win. I think there's a real opportunity to save our country by using using the office of the presidency, working with Congress, hopefully, to try to address these issues of these weaponized prosecutors and get them out of our politics. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. Uh, I have also been consistent. No one will remember this, but I thought impeaching Bill Clinton for whatever it is he did with Monica Lewinsky was wrong. I think, frankly, he should have been, been impeached for selling nuclear secrets to the Chinese for illegal campaign contributions. That rises to the level of an impeachable offense. But his conduct with an intern in the Oval Office did not reach that level. Yet Republicans, again, I think, weaponized uh, the system of politics, the system of government, to uh, try to remove Bill Clinton. It is yet another example uh, of this slippery slope we have gone down. Uh, One of the things I admire uh, about you, Rod, is that uh, that you have remained intact. You are a man. Uh, You are very articulate uh, in professing your innocence and making the case for yourself. Uh, But when you and I were at Mar-a-Lago, the president's palatial mansion in Palm Beach, which they're trying now to take away from him, uh, we were having dinner together. There is a period after dinner in which the president himself, using his laptop, actually acts as the house DJ and chooses uh, the music that is played over the loudspeaker system in the dining room. And the president delights in doing this. It's one of the ways 
that he relaxes. Uh, he's got great taste in music, particularly Pavarotti and rock and roll and so on. But he will send his emissary to various tables to ask you if you have any special requests. And when he came to the table where Governor Blagojevich and I were having a superb dinner, by the way, the meatloaf is unbelievable, and asked us for our choice of song, uh, it was Rod who said, uh, Jailhouse Rock by Elvis Presley. What <laughs> was, a, was a great moment. People don't know this, but one of the ways that you passed your time in prison was by fronting an Elvis tribute band. Uh, the fact that you are uh, a true uh, student of politics uh, is that you're not afraid to uh, admit that you admire some of the of the skills and accomplishments uh, and the uh, and the uh, resilience of, of Richard Nixon, despite the fact that you and I are in different parties. Uh, I really thank God that President Donald Trump saw through the outrageousness of your conviction uh, and that after serving eight years of your sentence, your, your sentence was commuted by President Donald Trump on February 18th, 2020. The president truly did the right thing. Uh, and it is just a testimony to you uh, and, frankly, to your family that you have remained in the arena, that you are out here uh, defending uh, uh, what is good about the American system, criticizing the direction of our politics. Here's what you wrote. This is the new politics, talking about the weaponization and the attempts uh, to uh, proceed against Donald Trump legally. This will destroy our country. This is turning our country into a third world banana republic. It's turning us into Russia or the Soviet Union. Our new politics is police state politics. That's exactly what it is. Rod, I'm going to give you the last word. Well, thank you, Roger. You know, this book that I'm writing, I have a whole chapter on my prison band. It was called G-Rod and the Jailhouse Rockers. And that's where I learned every single word of the five verses of Jailhouse Rock. And I never realized all those years listening to Elvis sing that song that the drummer boy was from Illinois, and uh, which is part of the lyrics of Jailhouse Rock. Um, look, I, I, it was a long, hard journey. I never would give in. They dangled 18 months after they failed to convict me at a first trial. I rejected that. It was the sort of thing that you knew deep down. They had so much power. You're probably going to. You're probably going to get your ass kicked. And uh, I had made a decision that I was going to fight going down no matter what. And uh, I was well aware of the possibility that I'd be punished for fighting back. And I eventually was. I'd still be in prison. So May of 2024, that would be 12 and a half years that I would have to do had it not been for President Trump reaching in to rescue me, as he did on the 18th of February 2020. A Republican president doing it for a Democrat governor, it did nothing to help him at all. In fact, he took criticism by doing this for me and my family, but he saw something that was wrong, and he righted it. And see, that, I think, is the strength of Donald Trump and the appeal he has to so many Americans is people see through the baloney of the routine, typical career politicians and really appreciate somebody who's different and who's willing to do a hard thing, even if it doesn't help him necessarily. It might cost him a little bit. But he sees a wrong and he wants to right it. And that separates him from Obama, who refused to be to do anything to help me. Yet he's involved in my case and he started the whole thing. And I was the first governor of America to endorse that guy. So All right. I look at political what's that, Roger? Uh, unfortunately, uh, Governor, we have to end it there. Rod Blagojevich, thank you so much for joining us on the Roger Stone Show.
at 77 WABC Radio. Richard Nixon. Well, I'm not a crook. Ronald Reagan. Tear down this wall. George W. Bush. I can hear you. The rest of the world hears you. And Donald Trump. And a friend of mine for a long time, he uh, only likes politics. If you ask him about how are the Yankees doing, he has no interest. If you ask him almost anything, he likes politics and he's a professional at the highest level Roger Stone. All of these presidents relied on one man to secure their seat in the Oval Office. That man is Roger Stone. This is The Roger Stone Show on 77 WABC. Welcome back. I'm Roger Stone, and this is The Roger Stone Show. Uh, Although yesterday was Veterans Day, I want to remind you one more time, we're Honoring America's veterans all weekend here. 77 WABC listeners can support veterans and their families this special Veterans Day weekend by donating to the Tunnel to Towers Foundation. All you have to do is go to wabcradio.com slash T2T to make a generous contribution. The Tunnel to Towers Foundation do an amazing job helping veterans of our, and their families of this great country. So please uh, go by wabcradio.com slash T2T and make a generous contribution to the Tunnel to Towers Foundation. Uh, we're going to take your questions now. That number, 800-848-9222. Uh, and let's jump right into it. Uh, let's uh, start with uh, Robert in Riverhead, New Jersey. Robert, welcome to the Roger Stone Show. Good evening, Mr. Stone. It's an honor to speak with you. I believe that Donald Trump was entrapped by our government, not providing him by law with a secure and guarded facility for his documents after his presidency. This is unlike any other president before him in history. What say you? Well, I honestly think that the 1977 Presidential Documents Act clearly holds uh, that President Donald Trump was entitled to do anything with his presidential documents that he wanted. Uh, In a case in D.C., Judge Amy Berman Jackson, who happened to be the judge in my case, uh, ruled that President Bill Clinton could do anything he wanted with his presidential documents, including keeping some of them in a sock drawer at his home. So I I think this is an illegitimate uh, prosecution. It is part and parcel of this tsunami of lawfare to try to blacken the president's name, uh, to, uh, to sap his campaign of both time and resources, to get him off the campaign trail, make him sit uh, for these trials Uh, I think the president is innocent, Uh, and I'm frankly uh, very optimistic because I think he actually has drawn an honest judge in that case. Uh, Judge Eileen Cannon is a former prosecutor, uh, comes from a Cuban-American family. Uh, She's a woman of enormous integrity. Uh, The Democrats jumping up and down on MSNBC saying she must recuse herself because she was appointed by Trump. Boy, they didn't say that in my trial or the trial of Paul Manafort, or the trial of Judge Flynn, uh, General Flynn, pardon me, 
uh, all the judges there being appointed by our political opponents, uh, notably uh, Barack uh, Obama. Thank you uh, so much, Robert, for your call. Uh, David in Staten Island. David, welcome. Mr. Stone, I have one thing to say. I have a couple of statements. One, in 1979, I saw Russia and Iran. Another one I saw was that if the pyramids turned upside down, it would collapse upon itself. Anything that the Republicans do have to straighten out what Biden did. A third one I have, that if we don't wake up to events that are coming, we're going to play very high price. Thank you. All right, David, that was more of a statement than a question, but uh, we thank you uh, for it. Uh, Nancy uh, in New Jersey, welcome to the Roger Stone Show. Thank you, Mr. Stone, and thank you for all of the informative education of your script and dialogue. My question is, where is, I don't know if I have the title correct, where is the Committee on Un-American Activities that was so prevalent in the 60s? I'm not talking about returning to McCarthyism, but I certainly think that that committee should be investigating the grifter-in-chief and all of the activities, including the open border and all of the corruption and the Iranian favoritism, blah, blah, blah. So with that, I'm going to sign off. Thank you again for all the work that you do. Uh, thank you, uh, Nancy, so much for your question. Folks, if you have a question, please uh, call us at 800-848-9222. I'd be happy to take your questions on any political uh, or history or news topic. Nancy, the House Un-American Activities Committee no longer in existence. Uh, I do think Congressman James Comer is doing a very able job uh, of investigating the corruption of the uh, Biden crime family. Uh, But I am perplexed by the previous comments by Speaker Mike Johnson, who said that there was adequate evidence to justify articles of impeachment against Joe Biden, but who now suddenly says that he doesn't believe there is. Uh, it's, uh, It's very perplexing. This is why people, I think, are disgusted uh, by politics. We have, a, uh, we have a two-tiered justice system. We now know definitively there was never enough legitimate evidence to justify the prosecution, or I should say the articles of impeachment against President Donald Trump. He was also acquitted in the Senate. Uh, but uh, we're being told that uh, the Republicans don't have similar information. Uh, Thank you so much for your call. All right, let's go to uh, Ted in Forest Hills, uh, New York. Thank uh, you, Mr. Stone. It's, it's my profound pleasure. Uh, I was listening to WNYC, that's listener-sponsored radio. They seem to be stooges for the Democratic Party. Everything was anti-Trump. Do you agree that that's what they are? Uh, I'm not familiar with that particular outlet, but uh, look, there's a lot of fake media out there. The corporate media, the corporately owned media, I think is in a cabal with the Democrats. And there's so much information that is withheld from the American people. Uh, There were, for example, 47 attacks on American forces uh, in Syria uh, over the last uh, several weeks. Uh, This goes largely unreported uh, by the media. So uh, it is amazing to me 
that not only do those in corporate media like MSNBC, CNN, the three major networks, uh, the once respected New York Times, the Washington Post, the Wall Street Journal, not only do they twist the news they do report, but so very much goes unreported. Thank you so much for your question. Uh, Max uh, in Manhattan. Uh, Max, what is your question? Uh, no, I, I don't have a question. I just have a statement, if I can. Okay. I um, I think there may be a, an October surprise for the presidential in the, for the presidential election, because I saw a statement on Newsmax about a week and a half ago that stated the Department of Justice will appoint a special counsel to investigate Donald Trump for the January 6th, uh, you know, whatever, those, uh, whatever right. you want to call it. Oh, right. And so I think they're preparing an October surprise. That's my opinion. I don't know. Well, so far, uh, special counsel Jack Smith has not brought charges of insurrection, yet he did say last week that in his prosecution of the charges he's already filed in which Trump is accused of knowing in his heart and his mind that he actually lost the election, uh, but conspired with others to seek to hold on to power, something I think will be impossible to prove because I don't believe President Donald Trump ever believed in his heart or his mind uh, that he lost the election, not with the dropping of uh, 300-plus ballots in uh, in states like Michigan and Wisconsin at 3 o'clock in the morning and the other many, many anomalies and irregularities. I, I don't care who in the government told Trump that he lost. I don't think he ever believed it. This is a uh, legal philosophy or a legal term called mens rea. They have to know Trump's mind. Now, whether he will get a fair trial in D.C. is an entirely different question. Whether the judge will will uh, disallow certain defenses uh, is uh, still an open question. Uh, last week, uh, the judge wanted to know uh, whether Trump intended to use the defense that he was advised by counsel, uh, it, and uh, he hasn't responded to that yet. But if he does plan to use that defense, it would mean that the judge could require Trump's own lawyers to testify against him. I mean, either the Sixth Amendment of the Constitution that prohibits such a thing uh, is uh, is still intact uh, or it is not. Very unclear. Uh, Jack uh, in New York, what is your question here on the Roger Hi, Roger. Stone Show? I wanted to ask you a question. Um... You know, I think your theme song is 2021 South Michigan Avenue by the Rolling Stones. Is that true? That is absolutely correct. It is an instrumental, and I think it is one of the greatest songs ever recorded. Yeah, well, Bill Wyman, if you, the history of the song, Bill Wyman, they were in the studio in Chicago, and Bill Wyman, their bass player, was just jamming. They said, wow, that really sounds pretty good. And they just all chimed in, and they put it together. And uh, it's interesting, Mick Jagger on the credits is, is credited as playing the tambourine. Uh, it is uh, it's interesting because, of course, uh, Charlie Watts, uh, who was uh, the drummer for the Stones, uh, landed on my international best and worst dressed 
list that I publish every New Year's Day. It's a tradition I picked up from the late Mr. Blackwell, and uh, uh, Charlie Watts was extremely well turned out. He uh, he went to uh, the finest Savile Row tailors. Uh, he was a great dresser as well as a great musician. Uh, I give you credit for your fine ear. Uh, the great folks at WABC, of course, have to pay for the rights to use that song, and we do. Thank you, Jack, so much for your call. Um, I have an email here who asks me to address uh, why I uh, helped found and am active in the Italian-American Civil Rights League, Uh, and it's very simple. Uh, It has been widely reported in New York City uh, that the city council is considering removing the statue of Christopher Columbus. We've seen similar actions across the country. The Italian-American Civil Rights League uh, was set up to stand up for Italian culture, heritage, and our history. Uh, It is an all-volunteer organization. Uh, We have no overhead. We pay compensation to no one. Uh, We have uh, no headquarters, no employees, uh, and no consultants. Everybody involved is a volunteer. Uh, If you want to stand up for Italian-American culture and history, you can go to IACRL.org and sign up. 100% of the money from your membership uh, is used for program. Uh, We will take action, legal action, if the New York City Council seeks to remove the statue of Christopher Columbus. And uh, in other jurisdictions, we will stand up and defend Italian-American culture. Uh, Thank you for that emailed question. I urge folks who are interested to go to the IACRL.org website. That's IACRL.org. I thank you for your emailed uh, question. Uh, Let's see. uh, Joel in Manhattan. Joel, welcome to the Roger Stone Show. Uh, Hi, thank you. Listen, your email, uh, does that go also through... Uh, uh, the BABC radio, uh, uh, dot com. your email? I'm not sure I understand your question. You can listen to... Uh, no, uh, no, what I mean is uh, I'll, I'll be getting to the main reason why I'm calling. However, regarding... You just read somebody's email. I was wondering if we could email you some information also besides calling you uh, uh, on the air. Uh, so do you give out an email? Sure, sure. You, can, you, you can email me at stone at stonezone.com, stone at stonezone.com. Stonezone.com is my website. You can subscribe. It is absolutely free. There is a portal there that will take you to all of our past Roger Stone shows here on 77 WABC. So you can email me at stone at stonezone.com. Uh, if you're thinking of sending hate mail, folks, uh, don't bother. I will just uh, delete it. Uh, thank you very much, Joel. What is your question? Oh, thank you. Listen, regarding the uh, 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 eventual outcome of the two wars, you know, namely the Uc- uh, Russia-Ukraine as well as the Israel uh, Palestine, uh, Palestinians or Hamas, you know, who's going to, after the devastations, you know, the reconstructing of those two parking lots, you know, uh, who's going to fix everything, rebuild 
those two nations in the end? Probably the United States. And why do we get involved unless and until as a very last resort and not follow the policies of uh, Patrick Buchanan, who was more or less of an isolationist philosophically? Why don't we take that route uh, rather than getting involved so quickly, uh, quite often uh, rather unnecessarily, uh, you know, instead of waiting a little bit uh, and then uh, resorting uh, to uh, interventions uh, when and if absolutely uh, necessary for our own good? Because, for example, I'll get to the point quickly also, Israel has a a surplus of uh, $3 billion. We have deficit of uh, about uh, $2.5 trillion. Now, Israel is not going to contribute uh, to uh, Gaza's reconstruction. We are, and maybe other parts of the world, the Arab world, possibly, etc. Now, it's not fair to us, the United States. We have uh, mouths to uh, feed, uh, too many homeless uh, people around. Uh, we could serve our own nation first and foremost. Listen, I'm absolutely grateful to you uh, for your show and for taking this call. All right, Joel, thank you for your question. Uh, look, I'm, uh, I don't consider myself an isolationist. I consider myself a non-interventionist. Uh, I, above all, do not want to see American troops in the Middle East, uh, and I really question uh, why we are running bombing raids uh, in Syria. Uh, it's amazing to me that Senator Lindsey Graham actually openly advocates uh, bombing the uh, Iranian oil fields. That's fine, except for Iran sells $386 million worth of oil to China every year. This is a shortcut to World War III. I honestly believe that there's one man who can negotiate uh, a settlement uh, to uh, this uh, dispute, if a settlement is possible. The problem here is that the Biden administration doesn't seem to understand you cannot negotiate with terrorists like Hamas or Hezbollah because they have no interest in peace. Uh, they, they, they're, they're, they want to die. Uh, it is part of their religion. Uh, and therefore, you cannot come to reasonable terms. It's not like uh, the Germans in World War II or the Japanese uh, where a peace negotiation is possible. I think Trump could negotiate a peace uh, in the Russian-Ukraine uh, uh, dispute. Uh, he is, after all, the man who cut off the Russian pipeline. Uh, he is the man who gave the Ukrainians offensive uh, weapons when Barack Obama would not do so. I think he has the credibility of both sides. I think he could negotiate that settlement. Uh, we need to avoid World War III, uh, and uh, I'm against uh, Americans' direct intervention uh, in the Middle East. I do support uh, supporting Israel, uh, as I always have, uh, and I'm amazed uh, at the level uh, of uh, pro-Palestinian protest, in, particularly in New York City, but in uh, the campuses. It's really quite uh, extraordinary. Uh, thank you so much for your call. Liz in Massachusetts, uh, welcome to the Roger Stone Show. Hi, Roger. I just want to tell you that I really admire you, and I can tell how authentic you are when I um, hear you on the Lindell TV as well as this radio show. So I, I give you two thumbs up. But my question is, 
what about Carrie Lake for vice president for President Trump with President Trump? Because she is so pro MAGA. She is so authentically pro President Trump. You can hear her in her voice, and she extemporaneously speaks beautifully, as well as Tucker Carlson. But I just wanted your opinion on Carrie Lake, because I I really get a great, uh, sincere um, sense from her. Uh, I love Carrie Lake. My family and I were with her this uh, past uh, Wednesday night uh, in Hialeah, Florida, for President Trump's uh, Make America Great rally. Uh, I, I think her... Prospects would have been perfect had she uh, been allowed to take the governorship, which I believe she legitimately won in the last election, but was cheated out of. Now, as you probably know, uh, she is running for the U.S. Senate. I definitely see her as a future presidential or vice presidential candidate. uh, But I do think the American people uh, would like to see somebody with experience. Uh, Donald Trump had the experience of running a multi billion-dollar corporation. Uh, Carrie Lake is a great, great patriot. She's a great communicator. Uh, I would not be unhappy with her nomination for vice president, but I can tell you right now she's certainly not campaigning for that job. Uh, She is totally and completely focused on winning Arizona's U.S. Senate seat uh, in a three-way race where Senator Sinema has bolted the Democratic Party uh, and is running as an independent. Carrie Lake has an excellent chance in that race. She's running against radical leftist uh, uh, Ruben Gallegos, who is not a moderate Democrat, uh, but is trying to pose uh, as one. Thank you so much, Liz, for your call. Uh, uh, Joe in Manhattan, what is your question here on the Roger Stone Show? Thank thank you, Mr. Stone. It's definitely an honor to speak to you, sir. well, I told the call screener that you know what's going on. Last last night they had a demonstration here in Manhattan uh, regarding the pro-Palestinians and everything else like that. And what happened earlier on Veterans Day when I, I saw it on the news about some guy taking off the American flag and putting a Palestinian flag on one of the streetlights on, I think it's probably Sixth Avenue. But the whole thing is that what do you think the Democrats are up to? Because they know what's going to happen next year, all right? Biden's not going to do anything. I mean, if he if gets through the next uh, year and a half or whatever, much left up to it because you know he's not going to he's not going to uh debate president trump but the whole thing is that what do you think they're going to do as far as getting things up to the point that we have adequate full chaos in this country before next november well it is uh you know clearly you see a situation in which they uh are weaponizing the judicial system uh they're trying to bar trump from the ballot why are they doing these things i'll tell you why it's because he is leading in the polls. What does that mean? Well, it means that the American people see through this blizzard of disinformation and misinformation, and let's just say it, fake news. They know Donald Trump has done nothing wrong, and I think they grow nostalgic uh, for the peace and prosperity of the Trump years. So uh, I think we need to be vigilant about election integrity to be sure that we get an honest, fair, transparent uh, election, Uh, but I'm deeply concerned uh, about these prosecutions. On the other hand, if the economy continues to head this way, if Donald Trump uh, continues uh, to lead in the polls, uh, if Joe Biden continues to vacillate and look weak, uh, if his policies continue to 
uh, drive gasoline prices, a 76% increase in the cost uh, of groceries. Uh, if our borders remain open, causing a crime and fentanyl epidemic in America, I actually think it is possible, not saying preferable, but possible that Donald Trump could be elected president of the United States from a jail cell, uh, after which he could pardon himself uh, and retake the White House. Uh, Trump himself uh, has said that he has no fear of going uh, to a prison. Uh, he is uh, he is the toughest man I have ever met. I worked for President Richard Nixon. I worked for Senator Bob Dole. They were both very, very tough guys. Uh, but I've spent time with Trump recently, and I must tell you, he remains resolute. He remains determined. Uh, he's in excellent spirits. Uh, he's a little angry, but I think he has every right to be angry, given the way he's being treated. Uh, but my money is on Trump. As Paul Manafort said to me, should the economy and these foreign policy disasters continue headed this way, Trump will get reelected despite this tsunami of lawfare against him. I would point out again, at least so far, Trump has not been charged with any crime that would either justify his being barred from the ballot uh, or uh, being ineligible to be president. I think we have time for one uh, more question. Uh, let's uh, go to uh, Dom uh, in Minnesota. Dom, what is your question? You are, Roger. I think there's not a surprise that the university students are striking the way they do because they have been uh, you know, brainwashed by and made brains are made into mush over many years. The Democrats have been planting these people, these professors. And I teach for a living. I got him in the closet because I'm independent and leaning right. Unfortunately, I can't express my views in my in my profession. So I, I my guess is America would be destroyed from within by the college professors that are exercising their First Amendment rights at cost of brainwashing innocent students. Here's a thought. What if America suddenly sprouted some freedom fighters who kidnapped these professors, demanded a ransom for the return, except the ransom is the professor must agree to go to Gaza, prove their passion by fighting for their favorite cause alongside Hamas and Hezbollah, save Palestine from the evil regime of Israel. How would that go with these guys? <laughs> All right. I'm afraid I appreciate your, your comments. We are pretty much out of time. I want to remind you folks one more time that we are – Honoring our veterans all weekend here uh, at 77 WABC. Please go to WABC.com slash T2T to make a generous contribution uh, to the uh, the uh, uh, Towers organization there. Uh, they do amazing tunnels to towers. They do amazing work for our American veterans. This has been the Roger Stone Show. We'll see you next Sunday at 4 o'clock Eastern. God bless you and Godspeed.